Sometime book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. That is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his, with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, um, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how, how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus, that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. The, world of, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Last week, I, uh, I introduced this topic of stewardship and said we were beginning a conversation as a church about how we can steward the things that God gives us. And after service, there's a number of you that were having had that conversation with me in terms of what does that look like? What is the, what is the application? What, is, what about this? What about that? And, and so I've appreciated the, the, your level of engagement with this particular topic. And would ask that you continue to do that. And I, I gotta be, I'll be transparent here that this series of messages has been challenging for me to write. It has been, uh, it's been one of those me- couple of messages now where um, have been trying to to discern and listen to what the Spirit has been saying. And I and I have found myself just more and more just at the feet of the cross. Just Jesus, what do you want me to say when it comes to stewardship? What do you want me to say when it comes to this particular topic, because I know that for myself, this is not an area that I feel like I excel in, and and so I I I don't want to come across as as hypocritical, but I also understand that there's a truth that needs to be shared here that Scripture leads us in uh, that that I need to receive as much as everyone else. So that being said, I, I come sharing as 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 your pastor, but also saying I'm just trying to figure this out too. So this morning we were we were going to be talking about this idea of stretchy stewardship, and as I was as I was reflecting and studying and praying through this this passage from John chapter six, I was reminded of an event that happened 51 years ago in 1969, where four men dreamt up this idea of celebrating music and culture, with an expected attendance of 50,000 people 
the plan was to have this particular event in an industrial area in Wallkill, New York, where people could gather and prove to the world that music could bring people together. And the vision behind such an ambitious event was to affirm the message of love and peace that, was, that needed to be heard in the midst of conflicts happening in the U.S. like the Vietnam War. Unfortunately for the organizers, as this date drew closer, where the, the, the city where the event was supposed to be take, where the city was where the city where this event was expected to take place, they backed out of the, the out of this 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 concert, this festival. And so these four organizers were stuck with trying to find a location that would satisfy their needs to make such an ambitious project work. And like most good ideas, they seem like good ideas until you start to plan the logistics behind them and realize this is a pretty big thing. So struggling to find new, a new location, a pig farmer, just north, about an hour north of Wallkill, New York, offered to rent his land for this event just months before this festival was expected to take place. And over the days leading up to this event, people began to start making the pilgrimage to what would later be known simply as Woodstock. Barriers unfinished, proper sanitation unable to handle the 50,000 people that were expected to show up. Traveling became a problem as, as the roads, the highways became gridlocked and people just parked on the side of the road or on the highway and abandoned their vehicles and just went on foot. During this three-day festival, people heard musical icons and legends and were affirmed in the cultural anthem of the day, love and peace. Unfortunately for the organizers, they were planning for 50,000, but 400,000 showed up instead. So the improper sanitation, the lack of water, the lack of food, were just some of the logistical problems that occurred at Woodstock. I'm sure many of you can recall the pieces of this event, where this event became this cultural phenomenon that has gone down in the annals of music history, where music, fun, and freedom were celebrated. Overall, this, the, the, these four men, who, the organizers of this event, described it as a success in spite of the logistical issues, in spite of the two deaths that occurred there. Where this unassuming rural location became this historic moment, this historic movement for music, love, and peace. And so as we reflect on John chapter 6, we see yet another historic event, but this one is rooted, of course, in the kingdom of God. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of two miracles that are recorded in, in all four Gospels. There's only two that are consistent throughout all four. The resurrection of Jesus, for obvious reasons, and this is the other. This rural community on the east side of the Sea of Galilee wasn't really anything remarkable at all. Really, the main reason why Jesus was choosing to go to the east side was just to have some space from the crowds of people seeking healing, presumably so that he could just spend some time mourning the death, the execution of John the Baptist that he just found out about that day. But as Jesus sails across the Sea of Galilee, the crowds decide they're going to follow on foot. There's something, something about Jesus that seemed to compel people to him, isn't there? And so as people traveled on foot along the, the northern portion of, this, of this, the northern shoreline, word began to spread that Jesus was on his way to the east side. Combine that with the, 
with the, with the fact that the, the primary route for anyone who lived in northern Israel, as they were making the, their way to Jerusalem, they would, have, they would have passed along the eastern shoreline of the Sea of Galilee as they pilgrimaged to Jerusalem for the Passover. And quickly this, this rural area had suddenly exploded with humanity as, as, as word would have spread that Jesus is here, Jesus is coming. Now scripture tells us that it was about 5,000 men who were, at this, who were in attendance. But that doesn't include the women and children who were there. Some commentators have suggested, have argued, that, that it probably it could be anywhere as high as twenty to 25,000 people that were gathered in this event. Imagine wanting some alone time, just you and 20,000 other people. But as Jesus begins to assess the situation developing around him, and you can see that most of these people have come fairly spontaneously. That they weren't really prepared for this, this new, this journey that they just came on. And certainly they couldn't afford to just go to the local Jerusalem shawarma and grab a doner or something. So Jesus turns to Philip. And almost with a sense of presumption asks, so where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Almost like it was an expectation that, that him and the disciples needed to, to host all these uninvited guests. And Philip, I think, responds in the same way that I probably would. What are you talking about? There's like 20,000 people here. First of all, none of us have that kind of money, Jesus. We left all of our jobs. Remember when you called us and we walked away from our jobs? Yeah, that was us. We have no money. The minimum wage in the first century was about one denarii. That's what soldiers were paid in Israel. And, and so Philip does the quick math in his head and concludes that, yeah, you know, I think that's about eight months worth of pay just for every person here to get one bite of food. We don't have that kind of money. And even if we did have enough money to feed all of these people, where are we going to buy the food, Jesus? We're in the middle of nowhere. So let's recap. 20,000-ish people. We could cut it down 5,000, so 15,000 people. No food, no money, and here's Jesus. Hey guys, let's feed them. And it's here where I think three things occur as we consider this idea, this conversation of stewardship. One, it stretches the people involved. It stretches us. This idea of feeding potentially 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish is uncomfortably impossible. Two, it stretches the faith of those involved. Because where we are lacking, God fills the gaps with his grace and does miraculous things. And lastly, it stretches God's kingdom. Where the miraculous power of God is revealed in a profound way and the borders of God's kingdom are stretched open wider. It stretches us, stretches our faith, and stretches the kingdom. Now, the pragmatic nature in me would see this, this situation fairly similarly to Philip. I think many of us would. Where we see this seemingly absurd plan that Jesus has just proposed and think there's no possible way that this could happen. Because one of the things that we're really good at, one of the things I'm really good at, I think we see this throughout scripture as well as that our human nature is that as soon as God proposes something immediately we doubt ourselves 
Immediately we doubt our capabilities, and immediately we doubt our God. And we can see, see that throughout Scripture. We, we can look at Moses, where God calls him to lead the Israelites to, to the promised land, and he says, I can't lead the Israelites into the promised land. I've, I've got a speaking problem. I can't do that. Gideon. God, I want, Gideon, I want you, to, I want you to, to, to fight the Midianites. I can't do that. There's too many of them. Elijah. I know you just... I know I just encountered, I know I just defeated 400 prophets of Baal and you performed miraculously, but I can't go on. I'm the only prophet. I remember when God called me into pastoral ministry 20 years ago. That was the first thing I said is, I can't. I can't. I've, I've only been a Christian for six months, 10 months, whatever it was, and I don't know the Bible very well, and, and I certainly choose my friends. They know, they know the Bible much better than I do. I, don't, I can't even name three of the books of the Bible. I can't because I've been, because I, I, I know myself, I know my inadequacies. I know where I fall short. I know how much pastors get paid. I can't. <laughs> all sorts, I, and so I listed off all sorts of limitations on what, what I have to offer, what, I, what, I, what, I, what would disqualify me from being used by God. And there was all sorts of limitations of what we have to, and we began to list off all the limitations that we have. Say, I'm not healthy enough, therefore I can't be used by God. I can't, I can't give more because I don't have the financial margin in my life to give more. I can't be used by God because I have, I have too much sin. I can't be used by God in that way. I can't do what you want me to do, God, because what if I make a mistake? I can't tell people about Jesus because I don't know the Bible well enough. And we can look at all the possible areas that others steward and we can see other people doing it really well and really amazingly. And it all seems so impressive that other, what every, everyone else can do. But often what happens, I think, is when we compare, is when we compare, we compare our worst selves to someone's best self. We see the best of someone and think, why can't I be more like that person? Why can't I steward my gifts in such a better way than in the same way that they do? Because I just feel like a mess. As a result, when God does call us to something beyond ourselves, it stretches us. It stretches us beyond the borders of our comfort. Because if you're like me, you like to be comfortable. I don't like having to rely on God for my money. I don't like having to rely on God for my food. I don't like having to rely on God for my clothing or my, my health, my peace, my, 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 my family. My comfort zone, my comfort space is to leave it up to me. Because if God is in control, well then I'm not. And if there's one thing I know about myself is that I like to be in charge. I like to be in control. But what we see about stewardship is that stewardship is about letting go of control of the things that God has given to us. That when we let go of control of all of those things, we place our trust in Him that what He has already given to you, given to us, will be enough. That when we let go of control of all of those things, we place our trust in Him that what He has already given to us will be enough.
I'll give you a, just a really brief example. We see this in, in Luke chapter 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. She let go of all the things in her life. She put her trust into him and Jesus and God. That, that what he's already given to her will be enough. Stewardship, though, isn't about managing what other people have. Instead, it's about managing what God has given you, big or small, and being faithful with what he has asked you to do with it. Let me say that again. Stewardship isn't about managing what other people have. It's about managing what God has given you and being faithful with what he has asked you to do with it. Because it's in our weakness. It's in our limitations that he is strong. That what we have, what we have to offer, is enough. Because the reality is, is that all of us are lacking in some form or fashion. But it's what you do with your limitations that is what matters. Stewardship stretches us. And as quickly as Philip says, we can't do that, Jesus, Andrew enters into the conversation who somehow, out of the 20,000-ish people that are there, has found this one boy who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, barley loaves would have been you know, fairly comparable to this size, not like the loaves of bread that we see at, at the grocery store, but more like a kind of a pita kind of thing. Instead, it was, it was more like a wafer cookie, and, and it was typical for someone who came from a lower income. And then they probably would have had a couple of sardines, so... A couple of sardines like this size. That's kind of what we're thinking. Like this, they weren't frozen though, but they were pickled. No one's going to want to shake hands with me after now. <laughs> and, it says, and he says, you know, this is all, this is all we have, Jesus. This is, what are we going to do with this? This is all we have. Now, if I stood here this morning and said, hey, guess what, Thornhill Church? We got lunch served after, after church here. And this is what it is. Five loaves, two fish. Most of you would say that's ridiculous. There's no way that all of this, all of what you have here is going to feed, you, feed everyone here. Nor would you probably be all that excited about this. Common sense shows us that, doesn't it? And I think that's the challenge we have with stewardship. That what we see here is that stewardship stretches us and it forces us to stretch our faith in him as well. Because stewardship, because stewarding what we have isn't about always what makes sense. It's about being faithful to the areas of our lives that he has given us to to bring glory to him. Can you imagine the, the conversation that would have occurred in this particular event where the disciples are wandering through the crowd kind of exasperated and just feeling like, oh, Jesus is doing something crazy again. And they're wandering around and saying, Does, well, all of you are here, we've got to feed you, I guess, any of you have any money we could use to buy some food? There's silence. And they ask, okay, well, no one's got any money to help us out. Maybe, does anyone have any food that you'd be willing to share? For whatever reason, no one, no one offers. Maybe they'd already eaten their food earlier in their travels, and this 
trip had gone longer than expected. Maybe they, were, maybe they had food, but some of them had to carry on to Jerusalem, so they were just keeping it for themselves. Nonetheless, as they're wandering through this crowd, does anyone have anything? This little boy puts up his hand and says, I've, I've got something. I've got, my mom packed me some lunch, and so you know, I know it's not much, but would this help? I think the boy here shows more faith in this moment than I think I do when it comes to the areas of stewardship. More faith than Philip, certainly. Where this boy understood that what he had wasn't much, but what he had, he was going to be generous with it. He understood that what he had wasn't much, but what he had, he was going to be generous with it. So in verse 10, Jesus said, we read in the other, other Gospels, he gets everyone to sit down and he instructs the disciples to organize them in groups of 50 to 100. And he gives thanks for the bread. Can you imagine how silly that would have looked as he's holding up this bread and says, thank you, Lord, for this bountiful feast before us. As Jesus held up these five loaves, these basically crackers in front of 20,000 people and gave thanks and distributed a portion of them into baskets for the disciples to hand out. So now the disciples have these baskets that they're wandering around the crowd and they're reaching in and they hand someone a portion of the barley cracker and then some fish. And then they, they know how much is in there, right? And they reach in and they pull out another piece and give it to the next person. And then the third, here's a fish and a cracker. Fifth, here's a fish and a cracker. I wonder how many people they would have had to get through before the disciples thought, there's something going on here. There's something significant that's happening that, that, because I should be out of food by now. And yet, I'm not. And they keep looking down and pulling up more every time. One after the one, after the other, after the other. I think the reason why this miracle was recorded was because of the sheer enormity of it. There were so many people that witnessed the, the significant event. But more importantly, the second reason I think this this miracle is so significant because Jesus made something out of nothing. See, usually miracles in the Gospels had some form of adaptation or, or amendment to them. They already pre-existed. Jesus just brought healing to the blind, restored the skin of a leper. But in this particular, in this particular case, Jesus literally creates something from nothing. They pull out fish that hadn't swam in the water before. They pull out barley crackers that hadn't grown in the fields. Jesus was taking the little bit that was offered and he begins to stretch it. And it's in this stretching that we discover that stewardship is about being faithful to what we have to give so that we can be a blessing to others. For those that heard Sig's messages the last few weeks and he preached on, on the portion of the life of Jacob, I was struck by the contrast between Jacob and this boy. Where if you recall the first message that Sig preached, he, he talked about Jacob and, he, and, he, and how Jacob had prepared this lentil stew. And when his brother Esau came in, Jacob saw this as an opportunity for personal gain. And Esau comes in and says, I'm so hungry I could die. 
Jacob in this moment has an opportunity to steward it well for the glory of God, or he's an opportunity to steward it well for himself and his own benefit. And so he, he, he deceives and he, he manipulates the situation and, and he makes it all about him. Where the boy in, this, in John chapter 6, he has these five loaves and two fish and, and we already know that he's not com- he comes from a fairly low-income family. I'm sure he could have done an, an auction and tried to, look, tried to you know, receive some money from the, from the highest bidder. But instead, this boy, he surveys the hunger of the 20,000 people. He surveys the need that exists around them. And he could have used it for his own advantage. But instead, he chooses to use it for God's purposes over his own. And it's in this boy's stewardship of the loaves and fishes that we see that God brings results that we can't always predict. Because not only was every person fed that day, but it says that they were satisfied. They, had, they all had enough to eat. They didn't just get to suck on the fish and pass it on to the next person. It's indicating that every person was satisfied with what was given to them. It was enough. And what the disciples discover about the 20,000 people that are fed is that not only was there enough for everyone there, but that there's a, there was an abundance left over. Enough to fill the basket for each one of the people who doubted him, the 12 disciples. And it was in that moment that the faith of the disciples was stretched, and it was there that God showed up in a powerful, profound way. And like the video we watched at the beginning, as we empty out our bucket... I think we actually begin to reveal the character of God into this broken world. Where we see the response in verse 14, where the people in the crowd see what's happening, and they say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. You see, the people in this moment recognize that there's something, there's something significant about Jesus, that he has the Spirit of God upon him that sets him apart. And so this morning as we consider what our loaves and fishes are in our time, our talents, our treasures, as we identify the areas that God has called us to steward, whether it's a little or a lot, the different areas that he has given us to manage are given to us to bring glory to him. It's when we are open to being stretched by him. It's when we are open to our faith being stretched as we trust in him that God does incredible things through our stewardship in the big and the small. Think about that. How, can, you, can you imagine how insignificant those five loaves and two fish must have felt to the disciples and to the boy, surveying everything around them, and he's like, it's just a drop in the bucket. And what we discover, though, is that God doesn't measure the degree of his glory that will be revealed based on the abundance that we have to offer. Let me say that again. God doesn't measure the degree of his glory that will be revealed based on what abundance we have to offer or what little we have to offer. Instead, it is the measure of God's grace that we are open to experiencing and revealing through our lives and whatever God has given us. Where God's grace fills the gaps of our shortcomings and limitations, and it's there that miraculous things happen. If Jesus made something out of nothing, imagine what he can do with the, the, the loaves and fishes that each of us have to offer. Maybe it's your time. 
it's not enough. It's, what can I do in an hour? Can I invite you to, to use that hour this week to reach out to someone that you haven't chatted with in a while? I actually had that happen to me on Thursday as I was writing this. Mary Lou Del Rosario, she called me on Thursday afternoon and said, Hey, Ryan, just haven't chatted with you for a while. Just want to see how you're doing. And there was no real uh, agenda to our conversation. She just wanted to have a conversation. I think there's something so affirming about that when, when someone can just say, Hey, I just want to connect. just want to talk. And I know she does that with other people. She's gifted in that area. But it's so encouraging to know that other people are thinking about, about us, isn't it? Or maybe use that hour just to pray for people in your lives. Earlier this year, we had the, the crosses, the, the people that we want to continue to pray for this year. I have mine at my desk, and I, and I pray for, for Mal daily. But maybe there's people in your life that you could pray for during that hour. Family members, neighbors, friends church. I remember watching a documentary a few years ago now about a monastery in Europe, and and they were interviewing one of the monks that was there. And one of the comments that one of them made was that that there's often this critique towards monks that they are isolated from the world. And his response to that particular question was, one of the things that they feel like their ministry is very, makes them, it's, that is very significant for them is their prayer ministry. Because they feel, they, they recognize that there is a spiritual battle that is happening out that we can't see. But in their prayer lives, they, they recognize that, there's a, that they are on the front lines of praying for the needs of the world around them. Can I say that your prayers are more significant than you might be aware of? For some of us, maybe it's our money. And you're thinking, I don't, I don't have the margin to give financially each time the offering plate goes by each week. Can I ask this question? This is a question that our family's been wrestling with and considering and responding to. Is the margin that we're facing, the lack of margin that we're facing, is it self-induced? Or is it just part of the reality that we're, that we're in? And so for us, we've had to really, as a family, we've had to really... So you recognize that, you know what, there's some things that we've, some decisions that we've made financially that, that are causing us to have some tighter margin than we need to. And so we want to be better stewards as a family in that area. Maybe that's the conversation you need to have as well. But can I encourage you to make a commitment to give something each week in the offering plate? Just, maybe for some of us, it's just a 1% increase from what it was before. Maybe it's just 1% and it feels like it feels like this fish is a whale when it's when you say 1%. But can we just see what God does with it and with you? For maybe some of us it's your talents. And you're thinking I've only been a Christian for a short while or I've, I'm new to this church. I don't really know anyone. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know what I'm doing. Can I just tell you, we have all kinds of areas in our church that we would love to plug you in to serve, plug you in to get connected. I'd love to chat with you about that afterwards. But in whatever area that we steward, that as we give what God has given us to steward, I think three things will happen. One, that God will stretch us beyond, beyond what we think we can go. 
two, that God will stretch our faith and we will see how God will provide for us even when we aren't sure that he will. And three, that the kingdom will be stretched as we can see how God will use your generosity. Where God might reveal his providence to other people because you have been faithful and generous with what you have. Think about what that revealed about God in that moment when, when, when that little boy was faithful with what he had and how it, revealed and bl- how it blessed other people and it ex- revealed the kingdom of God to those 20,000 other people. For all of us, though, wherever that is at, time, talents, treasures. The biggest thing that I, can, I could encourage, you, encourage each of us with is just start somewhere. Even if it's small, just get started somewhere. And as we give our loaves and fishes, the things that may seem so small and insignificant, I believe God will use them. Giving what God already has given us reminds us that what we have isn't just for us, but it's for others as well as we stretch the kingdom of God and reveal his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe at the communion service to come on up and we will, we will uh, enjoy communion this morning.